0: Hi guys, it's your host KJ. welcome back to Hear Our Voices. This week will be part two of the podcast that you heard last week. If you have not listened to that yet, maybe you want to go back and listen to that first before you come on here. But if you don't want to go back, you can still listen to this podcast and you'll be able to st- still get vital information. Let me get some housekeeping off the way. So please go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And we do a lot of updates on Twitter about resources and jobs. So if you are interested in things like that, definitely come and check it out. Usually we don't do a podcast like this in two p- in two parts. But this time it was a very interesting conversation. And I hope that you like it and enjoy. Also, we have other t- um things coming up. We have, as you know... This is October. I feel like right now it's September for me, but by the time you hear this part, it'll be in October. And at that point, we're going to be having Domestic Violence Month, Awareness Month. If you did not know, that's what October is. And we're going to be having a panel coming up. So it's we don't have the date yet for you to give out, but right now, we're telling you that it's coming soon. So guys, look out. Be are going to look out for that. And hopefully the things that we give you can be able to help you and your family.
1: So thank you for listening and talk to you next time. Bye. Um, And the system has changed so much where everyone has so many tasks to do that just being able to take time with people without doing the ILP or saying what housing you know where's your housing search log um this week there are not as many as I would call like by chance or or like happenstance conversations that people get to have where you really get to know someone and and understand what their needs are um some so it's really and everybody is not just gonna meet you and tell you all their business and that's a healthy thing, right? Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I was like, you know, I, I worry about the folks who they meet you and five minutes later they've told you their whole life story um, and do that with everyone. You can be going through someone and just need to talk at that moment but most people are not gonna do that. And they're, and so if no one knows that this is your a need that you have How do you get the information? Um, And that's, you know, so putting social workers in shelters, putting youth staff or child care staff in shelters and making sure that parents have someone to go to where they may not have the opportunity to speak to their caseworker that in the moment when someone is with your baby and being loving to your child and your child likes this person and they're attending program that they have the opportunity to say, hey, I've noticed something going on or I'm having this challenge and what do you think? Or what should I do? Or is, you know, or sometimes it's just like, is this normal? Right, Um, that's what it is too. When you're a first time mom,
0: oh, I'll give you an example. Granted, I grew up a lot of kids and I was, I was babysitting kids from like the age of eight, which is not good or for anybody's kid, but it happened. Life goes on. The kids are still alive. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> funny. I have another funny story. I actually met one of the kids I used to clean his diapers for when I was working at this college. And, I, and he said his name. And I was like, hold up. And I look at the last name. I'm like, hold on. Are you this person? I used to clean your diapers. It was just a, it was, it was a mess. I, I worked with a lot of kids over my years. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was had my daughter, for some reason, she's always looked at light. You know, like, I don't know what it is. And then my friend had a baby a month after me, and she asked me if it was normal for her. I was like, okay, it's normal. Her eyes, I mean, I would think that she was dead because her eyes, I mean, would just be open, looking at the light. A bug could just probably just fly right in there if it wanted to. She And not, and eyes just wide open, looking, looking, and she'll blink, I, I promise you, probably twice an hour, twice a minute. It was, I thought she was dead half of the time
1: yeah and like, oh god, you're you're just like normal. oh my god what what's happening what is this baby doing right <laughs> and i was like is she defective like because i've heard also some
0: kids when they look at light like that it's like they have a something's wrong with their brain so i thought it was, i was going crazy so then my friend had her baby she said oh my god and she's i came with the baby to the hospital she said oh she does it too and i'm like what she said looks at the light i thought it was only my son and i was like okay this is a normal thing but i thought mm-hmm. i was going I thought something was wrong with my daughter first of all so yeah just a simple thing like that, what could drive you nuts. Because you're at your first time, mom, hope you're doing the best. The child, you just like keep the baby alive, feed the food. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's a lot. Especially, and then being in shelter is an even more of a stressful, you know, mm-hmm. environment.
1: You have somebody knocking on your door. Is the baby in the crib? You can't do this. Where's your child? No, yeah. you can't. Just drop them off at your mom's house. It's a lot. And I think that you know, when you are running a program, that it's incumbent upon all of us to know that it is a lot. (laughs) And sometimes people just don't want you in your business and they have a right to not have you in their business and say no.
0: That's true. One thing I hated about shelter, well, I had a lot of stuff, but the first thing I hated is a fire drill.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I came in, I think I want to say it was probably the second or third day I was at a shelter in the Bronx Mm -hmm. and they didn't inform me that we have fire drills. This is my first time in shelter. Maybe it wasn't a handbook, I don't know. I'm just trying to go to work in Manhattan, drop my baby off from Brooklyn, and I lived in the Bronx. I was doing a lot, oh. of just to survive. Oh, wow. Yes, I didn't want my daughter, one thing I was all about is consistency. I didn't want her from daycare to daycare. And at the time, um, I was in another, another um, shelter it was in Manhattan, and they took me out after the 10 days and put me in the Bronx. So I didn't want to take her all around New York City, and not know where we're going to stay and transferring everything and HRA was paying for her daycare so to go back to HRA to change that out get is too much and I don't trust anybody my kid anyway so mm-hmm. I trust the person she went to my church I felt fine with her I mean yeah
1: the alarm's yeah, going Yeah, they're off. really it, it's crying. really really challenging it's but hard. you know what I, I can I can relate because you know um well one of the unique things about Henry Street, it was the first shelter in the country, right? The first apartment style shelter in the country uh, was our Urban Family Center. And they have a really unique model where staff live at the shelter and provide (laughs) services mm -hmm, and provide services after hours on the weekends. And while I was in graduate school, in order to save money and be able to pay for school, I decided to be one of the live-in staff at our urban family center. So cool, I actually. worked in the evenings and um was, you know, on call in case there was any issues. So as a resident, I had to get up in the middle of the night when people pulled the fire alarm too. And they pull sometimes fire just we had fire, fire drills. Sometimes the kids would pull the fire alarm. Oh, wow. Sometimes, you know, you'd just be like, What's going on? I just went to bed. I got to get up in the morning. I have to write this paper. So it was a lot. And I was like, Oh my God, this is what the families are going through.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you have a whole different kind of understanding when you have experienced it. Um, and, e, e, you know, I say that oh, there's nothing like being woken up out of your sleep and only to find out that someone thought that it would be funny to pull it. And, or that, you know, I and I'd say most of the times, it was a, a small child who just saw the but, and they just are like, "Oh, what's that?" And it's curiosity and they'll go and pull it. Wow. And you're like, "Oh no, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you're woken up out of your sleep and you're like, "Oh, I just I just need one more hour, please." And I was one of those people who once I'm awake, I'm awake and it's really hard for me to go back to sleep after I've been awakened so yeah it it, it it was a lot I think
0: that thing affected me in a bad I'm a person was scared of fire naturally but I think it worked out in a bad way because it got to a point that I wouldn't get up for the fire drill and it could have been really a fire and I would have died because mm-hmm. it happened so often like I'm not doing daytime, so I never knew how much fire drills they had in the daytime. But apparently, I guess by their regulations, you're supposed to have it at night too. And in the daytime, yeah, you're supposed everybody-
1: to do every month, you're supposed to do one on each a- shift. Oh, so there has yeah. to be at least three fire drills every month. So some of those that you thought were drills were probably just someone pulling the fire alarm because it's one on each shift morning, afternoon, and night. Um every month on a monthly basis so and that is a fire department regulation
0: oh wow i did not know i i, I knew that part but it was just so annoying i'm sorry after a while because they'll tell you you get like they'll talk to you like trying to give you strikes kind of thing if you mm-hmm. don't come to them but after a while i'm like i'm not coming my daughter after the first like five or six she started sleeping right through them and i started just ignoring it and just going back to sleep until they finished because it was happening, it was too much. And they were, and then they'll come on your door, we to see with the fire drill, are you okay? I'm like, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just, I'm tired of the fire drills. So it, yeah. it's honestly not good, for, it's because it's for safety, so I understand why they do it. So you can always know where your closest exit is or different things, but it's just so annoying being up at two or three in the morning and a th- alarm is literally blasting in your ear. And then another girl who was there, which I feel so bad for her, Um, luckily she didn't you know like people when they see flashing lights they can get seizures Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it was a sound plus the lights were flashing in her room she said oh my gosh do you know I have I can get seizures like this I should know this thing I think i don't think like asking these questions about health or whatever it's been a while but she said this is not you know healthy for me or my baby well Mm -hmm. I don't she said mostly for her but she said it's not good for you and she had like a newborn too on top of that so it was like it was a lot already so
1: so Honestly, if, I understand why they have to do it, yeah. but it could be if a someone thing. has um the sounds can be a trigger for people who have um who who are autistic as well. Right. Um, but if you know she may have been in the ha- you know the handicap unit because the flashing lights. The flashing lights makes me think that she was in a handicap unit because mm-hmm. you uh, they will have an apartment so that if someone is hearing impaired that they have the lights to indicate that the alarm is going off. Um, And if they don't have anyone who's hearing impaired, they're not just, you know, the system is all, there's always a need um, for a bed. So they're not gonna just leave the unit empty. They move someone else into that unit. uh, and, and And it may be, that um, she was in that designated unit. Um, but there's, it, 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 you, you, you have to juggle a lot. So it's true. I always say that you, um, you're juggling as a parent, you're, you're juggling as an employee, you're juggling as a resident of shelter and still trying to maintain some semblance of normalcy and, and and your contacts with your family with your friends um so you become a master at trying to make things work
0: that's so true it's a druggling for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot i i don't know if you see the people before like number four but Obviously you're not at path with them, but when they do you see them initially when they come in? And what what well, like what are the things that clients say are the worst things before they get into the like a unit or something like that? What's the like the experience they feel about path that you have heard about?
1: Um, I think that the biggest thing that, you know, people of course don't like the weight and that gets frustrating. But I think that the biggest thing is the fear. Um, You know, there's that central, that one central office that everybody has to go to apply. And it always surprises me how many people have never left their borough. So if someone is from, you know, Brooklyn or Staten Island or Queens, and they may have never been to the Bronx and they have to go and troop up to the Bronx and go and apply a path. And they have no idea what to expect when they get there. Someone has just told them, this is how you access shelter. And so it's very anxiety provoking um, because people don't know where it is that they're going how they're going to be received um, and, you know, what's going to happen when they get there. So when people go to PATH, it's makes it, I think, a, a, a pressure cooker because of the stress. Um, and, you know, folks may not show up with the, have all of the documents available to support their application for emergency housing when they arrive. Um, It may be that, you know, it's a day where there's a lot of people applying and they had a long wait. Um, People may be frustrated because they're not allowed to bring food in and and they were there for hours and they don't want the food or don't like it, the food that they serve at PATH. Um, but I always say to people when they arrive that, you know, you've gone through that experience and I know that it was tough, but you're here now. Um, and, you know, we are going to try and meet your needs. Um, so we always start off with trying to do an intake by saying to people, are you you know Are you okay Do you need some, you know Do you have you eaten today um, Do you want Do you want some water um, Do you need to use the bathroom um, uh, Before we get started, let me tell you what is gonna happen because I think it alleviates a lot of the anxiety of I have to tell my story all over again and what is this person gonna ask me now. Um, if people kind of know what to expect. Uh, and then as you're doing an intake um, and getting people up to their apartment, we need to number one, make sure that it's clean. Two, make sure that there are basic things that people are gonna need, You know, pots, pans, toilet paper. Inside of the appointment apartment kit, cause there's nothing like getting there in the middle of the night and going to the bathroom and realizing that there is none. Um, does you know, we started keeping a pantry on site because sometimes people do arrive, and all the stores or restaurants in the neighborhood have closed. So um, and they haven't had anything. To eat, so let's keep some basic staples on site, so that if it's midnight and someone tells you that they haven't eaten, that there's at least some basic things. Rather, it's cereal, or someone can open up some, uh, you know, spaghetti, Chef Boyardee, or 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 oodles of noodles. And those folks are like, oh, well, that's not healthy. It's like, yeah, but this is what people actually eat. <laughs> you know, um, this is what's comfort food a lot of times for Black and Brown folks. And if we're having an event, I'm going to make sure that there's something nutritious. But in the middle of the night, when someone arrives, there's nothing like, uh, being able to make something quick to give your baby something to eat so that they don't go to bed hungry.
0: That is so true. I don't think people realize that. And I uh, think feel like um food is like, I'm not gonna say a stressor, but some of the shelters don't give the best and they give like freezer meals without any taste. So for them to give things that people can actually, you know, like, or even open it at a certain time, that's pretty cool because some shelters they give you at a certain time to eat and if you're not there for it, you just don't get anything which I think is unreasonable like example for me I went to work and I came back from the, I worked in Manhattan my daughter's in Brooklyn I lived in the Bronx I'm gonna get back late I promise you that I'm not gonna get back any time in the daytime and every time they had food for, like you can like microwaveable food and they had baby food and I wasn't offered anything because I wasn't there at the time they had it which is you know that I work. I give you a letter from my job. So you know that I'm working. Like I'm out there playing. I'm actually yeah. trying to get out of the shelter. And it's crazy that they didn't give me the opportunity to get anything for my child. And baby formal is expensive.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Our, our, our shelter, there's um, kitchens. So people are able to prepare their own meals, but you have to have something that you can buy in order to be able to prepare it. Right. <laughs> you know. And, you know, I'm all, I'm all for healthy eating, but I also know that culturally there are things that we like and that people are actually going to eat. That's true.
0: That's also true. So in like how it's set up, because I've heard a lot of different way these shelters are done, which is some actually I'm surprised about a little bit. One girl said she shared a room with somebody, which I never knew family shelters did that. I went to four different shelters. I never shared a room with anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, The some shelters I was in had stoves or hot pots, like you know, somewhere to cook food at least. Some didn't have anything. I just had a um, refrigerator. How is the setup in your place? They said kitchens, but it's not like they're sharing. Or do they have their Mm -hmm. own unit? No, it's a it's a
1: studio apartment with a full kitchen. So there's a stove, a refrigerator. We have a microwave, um, so they're fortunate to both have both a stove and a microwave. Um, so it it's literally it, There's private bathrooms, so it's literally a studio apartment. That's nice. It's
0: yeah. nice. I like. I feel like all shelters should be that way. I don't feel like. Well, single. I'm not talking about single shelters. The men and the women and the youth. I'm talking about families right now. I feel like they should have their own place. Um, maybe for a single shelter, probably they'll have like, to give everybody their own kitchen and everything, probably be too much. it probably like have everybody have their own room and have like one kitchen and four people could go to a kitchen. That would be easier and probably more functional for that setup. But I think that all family shelters should have their, a, a stove. And different things. Sometimes, for example, if you buy your food, you want somewhere to cook it. Microwave food to me, I'm getting, trying to get yeah. used to it. But it don't taste the best i'm sorry i don't know what they put in the microwave to make it it's just not hitting like it's supposed to like people put pizza in microwaves i think it's horrible it's better in yeah. an air fryer or oven i just can't eat it that way but um to eat his own you know it yeah. just is very interesting when a person yeah, comes i think
1: from- that you know having people because you know everyone i always say we are who we are because of our background our culture. Um, And we carry that with us everywhere and nobody knows how to make what you like uh, better than you know how to make what you like. So if you have someone who, you know, who may be sharing, you know, making or, or consuming your culture, the food from your culture is important, then it's nice to be able to have the ability to prepare that and 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 be able to do that instead of um not being able to have it for however long you are in shelter because you don't have any place to cook
0: again another question from like path coming into shelter have you seen that when people come into the shelter that they don't know about certain resources, Resources they should have been told from PATH before they got there? Or do you think that they know all the information they're supposed to know before they get to you guys?
1: You know, it's it's hard to say um, because I think it may depend upon who did the intake or who met with the person at PATH. And I also, well, and this has always sort of been my, feeling is that so much is being done and asked to people in path that I don't know how much folks would really retain if they're even if they're given a whole list of resources. Um, you have to they have you, you have to meet with someone to talk about where you've been living. You have to meet with um, some you know, they you do a medical screen. You have to meet with someone from HRA, they do a domestic violence screening, they do a, you know, so it's all these things that you, um, they do a chat, they do a, a ACS, someone is also there. So there's so much going on that I don't know that that's the best time to tell people about resource, about a plethora of resources and how much they're really going to be able to comprehend and or even remember because you know if especially if you're there with your child and you're have all of this stuff going on around you um and and feeling anxious or making sure that you know you, you are keeping the kids entertained cuz they start getting restless when you're sitting there all that time it's hard to be able to absorb and take in all of that information. Um, I think that when people first enter shelter, that it is our duty to make sure that people understand what the process is going to be like and assist uh, with, you know, the asks from DHS so that they can. Become eligible or um, translate the system's questions so that people are able to comply. Because a lot of times, when people are being told that they're non compliant because they didn't provide an address history or whatever, it's because they don't understand or may not have been told what they can use to. Um, substitute for a missing address or a missing time period. I, it's people, did you go to the doctor? Do you have a library card? Do you have a cell phone bill with that address on? Um, did you? Do you have a person who can card. write you a letter? Do you get your? Um, you know, do, any? Is your? Was your child ever registered to school there? You know, um, right. there may be other. When they say a bill, people think about rent. People think about, oh, did I have, you know, I didn't pay con ed there. But there may be some other form of mail that you are receiving at an address, even if you are not the head of household at that address that you can use to document that you resided there during a certain period of time. It could be that your child went to school. You you never use that address um, for any bill, but your child went to school there and you registered your child in school at that house. So you can go and get a school letter that shows that your child, that they have a record of you living there because that's where your child was registered for school. It may be that, you know, you went to the doctor's office and filled up and, and you told the doctor that this is my address, or you called an ambulance from there, or you um, stayed at a, a, you know, at a friend's house for a couple of months and, and, and you got a check there and you still have the stub. There are all kinds of things that, People can substitute that we don't think about. So it takes some inquiry to say, what do you you know, what do you have? Do you really not have anything or are, or is there just things that we have you haven't thought about yet?
0: That's true. I've never thought about what stuff you can um bring in. Um, I use personally my Capital One bill because I was getting, I had credit cards. So that worked out in my favor of addresses. But um, so I always had like some way of doing it. And if you're paperless, all you gotta do is go on the computer and just honestly print it out and Mm -hmm. give it to them. That's another way of showing where you were at a certain amount of time. If the person you're living with, if they really want you out, they'll get a certified letter. And sometimes people say they don't get certified and it still works because as long as your number's on it, they will call you. I don't know if they still do home visits anymore, but before, back in the day, they would come yeah. to your house and knock mm-hmm. on your door to make sure you're the person who, you know, say they don't want that person there. So,
1: but they you know, used COVID, to, but I think different. that they primarily do telephone calls now, especially yeah, during COVID. COVID. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. which is understandable. I can understand, but um, there's just a lot of different things. Do you feel like a lot of people get the, I want to say mental help or like counseling or things like, like that while they're in shelter? Or do they mainly because it's so stressful wait till after shelter to get the help that they need in that realm?
1: I think that's an area that it's gotten a lot better. Um, sh- there, well, there is a staff line for um, client care coordinators in shelters. Uh, so, you know, social work, licensed social workers. That's the title that um, we use. Um, but it has been a role that it's difficult to keep. Um, you know, there it, there's a lot of turnover um, in the role.
0: Okay.
1: Um, primarily because uh, people... Want to get clinical hours so that they can become therapists.
0: Got it. Um,
1: And you and shelter is not um, a listed. It's not a site where you can earn those hours. Um, You have to be in a mental health clinic or in an OMH-funded program in order to be able to earn your hours toward getting your C. And that seems to be the desire of most um, people entering the profession these days is to become a therapist and have their own business or be able to provide services so that they have more autonomy um, and can, you know, set their own hours and do their own thing. Um, But, there's always a higher need um, uh, for services than there actually are people who, to provide the, you know, in the role. Um, I think that the other piece of it is that, how should I say this? Sometimes, even when people need the service and it's available, there is a reluctance for uh, residents may not want to see the social worker at shelter because they are associating the staff with um, the system you know, they you know the shelter is doing um you know, they may have a disagreement with their caseworker or they may have had. bad experience at another shelter, or sometimes it's just that people want to keep parts of their lives separated. It's enough that I have to talk to you about my housing and my kids going to school and ACS in my business. There's something people sometimes want to keep their mental health to themselves and not share it with the staff because they feel as though they will be negatively viewed. Um, And so they prefer to get services outside of the shelter system. Um, And But I think it's important to have it as an option. Um, And what I, tell my staff to do is that it's okay if somebody doesn't want to talk to you today. They might need, they might want to talk to you tomorrow. Um, It's more important to develop a relationship and let people know that you're there and available so that if they have a need, um, they know that the resource is there. It makes sense.
0: It makes sense. I could, like, I was depressed in shelter, and then a lady—they had this one. I don't know if she's a caseworker or something, but they took—it happened only one time—and she made me take this test. Like, I guess it's supposed to like you—you you answer, I think, one to five or some questions, and they say how you feel. Mm-hmm. And she said, "You know that you're depressed," and I'm like, "I'm not depressed. <laughs> I was yeah. like uh-huh. But, but also like, how much do you want to open? First of all, is your housing? ACS is always, I feel like, a a thing that you think about in your mind also with all these governmental things. Do you want your child to be taken away from you because of how they, it has a bad stigma around it. That's the thing about it. In my mind, even now, it's like, they know that you have a mental health problem. Are they going to be able to make you keep your kids? Mm
1: -hmm. You you make your mind go so And there's already more attention being placed upon you because you're living in shelter, right? Right. And you have, are interacting with institutions and 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 that you if you were in your own apartment you would nobody would nobody's coming to your house to see if your baby's sleeping in the bed or in a crib right nobody is um you, you you don't have a curfew so no one is saying oh you kept your child out too late and you broke curfew um and you have a school age child so you can't be in the street at midnight Um, so there are already all of these rules and policies that are in place for a reason that um, affect people's ability to manage their lives the way in which they want to Um, so they may see you know, seeing a, a, a a mental health practice at the, at the shelter as just an extension of the city or the shelter system or ACS or whatever, you know, you're being associations people have in their mind. Um, And sometimes for very valid reasons, because if you're going through something, and you say that the, you're depressed. Um, your social worker is going to make an assessment of your risk to yourself or your risk to anybody else. That's what that's what it is about, right? So that may mean you t- them saying, "Why don't you come and talk to me for a couple of weeks, and so that I can get you over this hump." It may mean referring you out for other for long-term treatment. It may mean um helping you get reconnect with your family so that you are getting outside supports it may mean referring you to some kinds of long term treatment program whether it's a mental health treatment program or or a substance use disorder treatment program but if the assessment says that you are at risk of harming yourself or your children or your child is at risk, then as a mandated reporter, you're right, it will lead to a call to ACS. Mm-hmm. So, it, so, you know, while I don't think it is, um, it, it's not our desire to just call and give people ACS cases, there are times in which, yes, it happens. And it's needed sometimes. Um Exactly. Like the other
0: day with the, I don't want to put this up in gloom Um Right now, we're recording this with September. And so you'll probably get us in October, November, guys. The other day, uh, my mom drowned. I want to say two or three of her kids in Coney Island.
1: Yeah. She, I don't I believe she was in the shelter in the at paper. all.
0: I don't think she was in a shelter. She was not in the shelter. But the point is that mothers can go through a lot. Parents in general can go through a lot. It'll be a man or woman. Taking care of kids is not an easy feat. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really isn't. And there's so much stressors in the world right now that could tick you off so bad. Um, obviously, I think what she did was horrible, but um, if she would have got some help, would those babies have been safe? If people would have came with the signs and really got her the help, could something had happened different? Right now, it's if, ands, or buts. Like, you can't do nothing about it because it already happened. But um, yeah, we might say the ACS has come to take people kids, but some people need their kids taken away from them for a period, not you know, the whole time, just a period of time <laughs> until they get their life back on order in order. Because when you have so much things, it's like a building where it has so much cracks. And the cracks are in every different direction. And it's not, it only stuff that start at one location, but it's also now a crack in the back. And then there's water damage. Eventually something's gonna happen to that building. The building's gonna fall if it's not patched up properly, you know? And if we have so much stressors, not saying that, you know, everyday people don't have stressors, if they do, but they tend to get help. You get therapy, you get these things to help you out. If you're not getting those help, stuff can happen bad. So you could do something bad to yourself or your kids. So um, anybody who's listening to this, and if you are stressful, whether you're in the shelter or not, because a lot of people listen and they're not in the shelter, um, please get the help that you need. Don't just sit there and say, yeah, it's gonna pass. If you're in deep depression, if you're going a couple of days probably without a shower in the, and and you're in the bed and just eating some ho holes and some chips, and you're just thinking, my gosh, my life is horrible. I should know get help. They have um numbers you can call. They'll be in the description down below if you're listening to this, and or you need you know somebody who's who needs the help. Um, check on your friends. It's a, a lot of things people are seeing in the um pandemic. Oh, check on your loved ones. No, it's a serious thing. Check on your loved ones. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of, from a person who you know is already battling with depression a certain amount of time it's been a month you haven't seen an update on facebook no update on twitter no update on instagram they haven't said a hi or bye to you you don't know if they're still working check on these people because they their mental state is just not where it needs to be because there's so much things happening society right now especially in new york city people getting pushed in the subway you walking down the street people have attitudes and this is like there's so much things happening in the world right now stop being a little stop being selfish it sounds mean to say but we all need to work together as a community to make sure we're all okay yeah
1: that's that's so important because you know it's so it's so easily we so easily Want to push it aside and say, "Oh, I'm gonna mind my business," but you know, a hurt child is everybody's business, right? Um, and you know, if a, a hurt human is everybody's business, because if you are in so much, you know, if you are in pain, then you can't take care of your child. You can't take care of your you can't take care of your child if you can't take care of yourself, right? And you know, if you are in need of help, then there are places where you can. The one of the greatest things I think now is that telehealth has made has been able to make people the availability of mental health services um, much more affordable and that it is much more readily accessible because some people don't want to go outside of their house and go to a doctor's office and 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 there are a lot more people who can um access the service. Or now you can even text with your therapist and for those who don't want to look at someone or see them on the screen. So there's so much more opportunity for people to get the help that they're needed that they need. Um, So, you know, please find a way, call a hotline, talk to a friend. Um,
0: There are services and there
1: is help out there.
0: Right. Some of them you need insurance, some of them you don't. Just see what's out there. Mm -hmm. Honestly, nowadays, Google is your best friend. (laughs) You can honestly just Google these things. And but right now, if you're listening to this, it will be in the podcast description below because I want you, if you're listening to this, please get the help and don't be the person you see a mother and a a child having a bad day you say oh my gosh she must be the worst people have bad days that's just you know but if if you see it happening for like a week or a month she probably needs some (laughs) help. i'm just don't be that person just you know calling on your neighbors she's yelling one day parents yell that's what they do sometimes some people are (laughs) gentle parents some people are not it is what it is but if you see that the child's getting neglectful hair is not done clothes are untidy the look at the child's losing weight the, the mother's losing weight she needs not care for herself and, you, and you'd normally see her before, like uh, two months ago, she was tip top shape, kids always looking perfect. Maybe something is wrong. You could tell people don't usually like, they can't, they say they can't see it, but it's there. You're just not looking close enough, even though it's in your face. Because if a person is always coming out their house before, hair together, they look a certain way and two months later, something's different about them. It might be that they go into a crisis and they, they're showing it outwardly, but you you're not checking on what that difference is. If that makes any sense. So, um, but yeah. So do you have any last words that you wanna tell the people who are listening to the podcast?
1: Um, I would just uh, like to say thank you for the opportunity to come and talk to you this afternoon and for everyone listening, uh, just to say that I know that it gets rough. Being unhoused is not for, you know, the weak however, um know that is doing your housing search and getting into shelter, doing your housing search, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um I know sometimes it can feel overwhelming um and people feel beaten down by their circumstances, but we are all um, more than, you know, the bigger and brighter than the thing that is uh the challenge for us at the moment you know you're more than you than what happened to you on your worst day um they are resources a apl- that are plentiful um and I think that you, this podcast is a great service for people who are you know currently um n- who are currently homeless or who are at risk of becoming homeless? Um, and Google and three one one are your best friends,
0: right? That's definitely true. So guys, I hope you listen to the podcast, and I hope you got something from it. it's It's a very different podcast, I feel like than normal, but I try to bring every different aspect about homelessness and motherhood and or just being a parent in general, because or caregiver, as they say nowadays, um, and how the homeless people just think that yeah, they're homeless. They don't have any. It's, just, it's stressful being in the vi- environment, especially if you never grew up around that kind of environment. I personally never grew up being homeless. I just got homeless in my twenties. Um, I was homeless in my twenties, I should say. Um, it's a it could be a lot, but you can make th- you can get through it. The the light at the tunnel you you see it it's kind of far you got to jog just a little bit to get to the end but you're gonna be there you're not gonna be there forever I know some people stay in the shelter for three four years five years um, I believe that you go through you the know, struggle for a reason and everything. Happens I just wanted
1: reasons. to say yes. I just wanted to say one last thing that I want everyone to understand is that being homeless. It's not, you're not homeless because people are not homeless because they grew up around it or, 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 or it's some kind of character flaw. People are homeless because they're poor. People are homeless because they can't pay rent. The only reason for homelessness is poverty. It's not an indication of your ethics or your morals or a lack of, um, uh, uh, of character for you as an individual people are homeless because they're poor and I guess so I guess those are actually my final words
0: <laughs> I understand
1: <laughs> I, I'm
0: gonna put a little tidbit in there guys um you know poorness has a lot I feel like a lot to do with it if you could save a little bit of money here just in case god forbid you go homeless pop money aside if you can also, it's not only people who are poor. People have fires, like natural disasters. You'd be surprised what could come our way. We've seen in the last two years, corona happened. People never, people thought they were secure in their job, and all of a sudden, corona happened, they can't work, and then now they're homeless. So you'd be, be so surprised how one thing can change your whole life. So don't look down upon somebody who is homeless, because when that day, one day that can be you. Um, just be able to help each other have empathy for people, help when you can. I'm not saying give a whole paycheck, but if you can give your time to somebody who doesn't know a certain particular thing or just anything, what can contribute to people who are less fortunate or just society in a whole do that guys. And if you need help, please call the hotline down below because there's so much opportunity to get help out here. There's no need for you not to um, be able to do that. And also, if you ha- need prescriptions in case, you know, sometimes you have- need medication when you go to these things, they have different apps. Um, RX Homes is a good one. Is it RX Homes or RX something? I'm gonna hopefully look that down below also with my team. And they give you discount on medications at different pharmacies. So you have to just tell them which pharmacy you wanted at and they'll send the prescription there and then you show them in the app. If you have a phone, they have free phones too. So I'm trying to give you all the resources <laughs> that I can give you right now and you can get cheaper medication. I know because I use them. I'm not just telling you something I have not used. I have used this app to get cheaper medication for myself and I have insurance. So sometimes insurance is not good enough, but this app can help you get cheaper um, in medication if you end up needing medication in the future. So I hope this podcast is helpful. Again, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. And I said Twitter? I feel like I did. I did. <laughs> hope you could follow us. If you want to follow me, KJ Davis, I'm on all platforms at the, as that name. And well, you won't find me on Facebook with that name unless you're in a, a certain group. But anyway, so yes, guys. So tune into the podcast next week
1: and I hope you enjoy. See you, well, hope you hear me next time. Bye.